We are back for a week seven recap. Six teams on by, and boy, did we feel it. We saw a ridiculously low number of TDs, and we celebrated National Tight End Day in elite fashion. Let's break down my cash line of my turning decisions, preview the Monday Night Football game between the 49ers and Vikings. Let's get to it right now. Welcome back to the DraftKings Football Show, hosted in partnership with our friends at DraftKings. I'm your host, Justin Herzig, and this was a tight ends go off day. I mean, the highest scoring player in the slate was a tight end. Travis Kelsey doing almost all that in the first half. We had two other tight ends, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, both putting up 20-plus point days. Goddard even had a strong game in the late Sunday night game. This was a fun one. And uh, for main slate, if you were one of the 27% of people that paid up for tight end this week, you probably did quite well. For the rest of us, it was quite the grind to make a profit. Let's dive into it. So my team put up 118.80, was looking like a bust of a day for most of the afternoon, but ended up booking a small profit, taking down 64% of my head-to-heads. Here's what I played. At QB, played Jordan Love. Played three running backs, Kenneth Walker, Jerome Ford, and Isaiah Pacheco. My three wide receivers were Cooper Cup, Tyler Lockett, Joshua Palmer. Tight end Luke Musgrave and defense were the Chiefs. In total, my team only scored four touchdowns. Uh, two of them were passing touchdowns from Jordan Love. One was a rushing touchdown at the very beginning of the game from Jerome Ford, and the other was a receiving from Isaiah Pacheco. It was a very low-scoring day across the board. That kept this team alive, thankfully, with the late surge by Joshua Palmer and Jordan Love fighting his way to actually putting up a respectable amount of points. Let's break down each of the positions and my process going in. So at the quarterback position, um, despite Patrick Mahomes going against the Chargers, Chargers have given up the most points to opposing QBs. I just couldn't fathom for cash paying all the way up when for I could get somewhere between $2,300 and $2,900 worth of savings by playing down. So never really considered that payup strategy there. 10% of people ended up, they did pay up for Patrick Mahomes. They were rewarded, rewarded with his best game of the year, 37.86 points. Congratulations there. I was not one of those. I considered the four QBs that were all in that 5,400 to 6,000 range. So you have Russell Wilson. He provided the most savings down at 5,400. Geno Smith was at the top. He was probably the safest going against that Arizona secondary that struggled to stop anyone. I personally settled in the middle on Jordan Love. Going against the Broncos, they've given up the second most points to opposing QBs. He's got his weapons at full strength with Aaron Jones back, with Christian Watson back. And you compare that to you know Geno Smith, who Tyler Lockett um, – you know, was maybe going to be the 1A wide receiver there. They were potentially missing DK Metcalf. We knew Charbonnet was going to be out. So when truly thinking through those, it really kind of came down to those middle-priced ones that Jordan Love. I also was looking at Deshaun Watson. He was only $100 cheaper than um, than Jordan Love. And he was popping in models. I mean, you've got an indoor game versus Indy. Positive, you know, pretty strong matchup. But... I thought there was just too much macro risk considering I was likely going to be playing Jerome Ford as well. Deshaun was coming back from the shoulder injury, potentially less than 100%. You could have re-injury risk. And 
if the game just kind of went astray, I don't know, with having both of the Deshaun and Ford, who I thought were going to be some of the lower owned at their positions, it felt too much macro risk. And I did like the Jordan Love kind of from a combo going against the Broncos. Now, Jordan Love to start the game, I think he only had about like three or so points at halftime. It was looking quite ugly. Feel pretty fortunate to get those 16.3 points out of him, considering how he started how scared he looked to throw downfield. If you look at his uh, target map and just where those passes were going, everything was right near the line of scrimmage. And even that second touchdown he had, we got pretty lucky, lucky as it was thrown to Dobbs. Dobbs kind of tips it, drops it, doesn't catch it, ends up in Jaden Reed's hands, who's just right place, right time. It was an ugly game. I mean, as I mentioned, the leading pass catcher for the uh, Packers. I'll pause, take a guess. Do you know how it, who it was? A.J. Dillon with 34 receiving yards. Just insane. Um, and when everything is thrown to the line of scrimmage, and it's not like, I mean, you've got guys like Musgrave, like Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs that are downfield players that can get open, that can create space, that can find you know holes in the pockets. But for whatever reason, they either don't trust Jordan Love to get there. They don't trust the offensive line. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm definitely going to be hesitating to play Jordan Love a game. Again, I think what we saw from an efficiency standpoint of those first three games, that might be more the outlier than the norm. All right, looking at the field and so where everyone went for this week, I mentioned I played Jordan Love. He was at 19%. Only one QB was played more, which was Geno at 21%. Those two scored virtually the same amount of points, about a half a point difference in Jordan Love's favor. Mahomes is next highest, owned at 9.6%, put up the 37.86 points. And then you've got Stafford, Deshaun Watson, Sam Howell, all under 10%. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, Russell Wilson, as I mentioned, at that cheaper down at the 5,400, um, I thought he actually would have been a little higher on than 4%, but I guess, like, you know, not the greatest matchup going against Green Bay. And I think it really came down to you just didn't need those savings, which became a theme. We'll talk about it later, a little later, but going down to 5,400 just didn't, wasn't that much better than playing at 5,700 Jordan Love or 6,000 Geno Smith. Moving on to running back. I only considered four running backs in this slate because the ones that were available, I thought were all pretty strong plays. So Kenneth Walker, Isaiah Pacheco, Jerome Ford, and Jameer Gibbs are the four that I considered. Walker was pretty much a lock once Charbonnet was ruled out. You're going against the Cardinals. Cardinals have given up third most points to opposing running backs. Not really um, any reason to not play when you knew he was going to be getting so much of the volume on the ground. And then he's also still had that kind of pass catching role. Uh, so he was the lock for me. The next, the guy that was most likely to be played was Pacheco. Really wanted to include him given the expected high scoring game environment that you have with the Chargers there. It was the highest total on the slate. His roles continue to grow. He's getting 70% of the carries, running around on 38% of Mahomes' dropbacks. That's the kind of usage that we just haven't seen out of Kansas City running backs in recent years. And hey, if he is going to continue this trend, um, you know, I think that's a very, very strong role for him. So wanted to get him um Wanted to get him in the lineup to get some access to that game. Third spot was between Jerome Ford and Jameer Gibbs. During the morning, I kind of went back and forth. We were trying to watch the Cleveland News, the Kareem Hunt. If Kareem Hunt was inactive, I think Jerome Ford would have ended up being one of the best spots on the slate. Probably would have been one of the chalkiest as well. Once the reports were positive you know, on him, like... <sighs> 
once we kind of knew that Kareem Hunt was going to play, I'm starting to look for a way to work Gibbs into my lineups. Reports were that Gibbs was going to get that heavy workload. And then when you consider his skill set as the pass catcher, this really could have been um, a high, you know, high volume, high efficiency role. It was a difficult matchup versus Baltimore, and he cost $1,200 more than Jerome Ford. So that's what really kind of kept me off of it. I ended up leaning forward due to the savings. Stronger matchup versus Indy and talked myself into thinking that Ford could actually project for similar, if not more, pass game work, given what we saw with Jameer Gibbs. It was two weeks ago in the game that David Montgomery missed. Jameer Gibbs was used the primary rusher, which then they didn't really use him as that pass catcher. So whether or not that was a one, you know, one week kind of outlier, fluky, it's all we had to really go on. So I at least kind of used that to talk myself into that Ford maybe had a better or at least as good of a pass catching role. All right. React, you know, reactions for how that actually played out. So for the first one, Kenneth Walker had 28 touches, multiple chances from the one yard line, ended with what felt like the minimum amount for that much volume, which was 16 points, got the 100 yard bonus. Feels like it should have been a larger game given that amount of volume and his role in the red zone, but um, they just couldn't put it, just couldn't put it, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get over the line with him. For next up was, but it didn't really matter that much because Raheem, I mean, because uh, where is it? I'm looking. Kenneth Walker was owned 69% of teams, so didn't really have much uh, leverage there, anyways. Next was Isaiah Pacheco. Continued to get that work in the passing game that I referenced. He got four receptions for 28 yards, but he just couldn't do much on the ground with his 13 carries. Thankfully, saved that day with that late receiving touchdown. This Chargers defense, I think we need to keep an eye on because if you look at from like an aggregate stats wise and against the run, they're kind of like league average, nothing too special. But if you dig a little deeper, they've actually been sneaky good when you consider who they played, Raheem Mostert, and that just efficient Dolphins um, running game. Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Isaiah Pacheco. And they're holding people to around, I think it's like 3.6 yards per carry. They've been giving up touchdowns, but haven't been giving up any big plays to these backs. So something that maybe we want to look at. And hey, Chiefs, we know, are a sharp team. Andy Reid, so maybe that's why Pacheco only got those 13 carries. Didn't turn it into much more than I think it was around 30 yards. And they passed a lot more. We saw how efficient they were through the air. We know that you can pick on the Chargers in the passing game. They give up the most points to opposing quarterbacks. So that may be a theme that this is actually similar to what we talk, think of the Titans. This is a pass funnel that we're not going to be wanting to play running backs against the Chargers often. Stay in the air, go for that passing game. And then Jerome Ford. So Jerome Ford was the ultimate T. Starts the day off literally within minutes of kickoff with a nice 69-yard run for a touchdown. And then after that, only got five more rushing yards, two receptions for 20 yards before leaving the field with an ankle injury. Reports, obviously unofficial reports, but if you listen to the Twitter doctors, there's a risk that this might be a high ankle injury, uh, a high ankle sprain. Hopefully not, because Jerome Ford was looking good, and uh, he was a fun little piece to the best ball shares, as well as if you're, you don't want to play the Browns in DFS, he was a, uh, you know, a nice piece there. Now with Pierre Strong and Kareem Hunt, it's just not nearly as exciting. Hopefully, Jerome Ford can be back pretty soon. The player that I didn't play was Jameer Gibbs. Ended up having himself a very strong day despite the entire Lions team struggling. He got 78% of the rushes, 27% of the receptions. That's nine receptions for 58 yards. 
including a touchdown on the ground. Trying to think, like, you know, I think I still played it correctly. I'm still happy with the process for picking those three. Um, And if you look at it from an ownership perspective, most of the field did pretty similar to what I did, uh, where Kenneth Walker ended up being the highest owned at 69%, Isaiah Pacheco, 45%, Jerome Ford, 30%. And after that, you got Jacobs at 28, Gibbs at 17-18, and no one else higher than 10%. So makes sense. It was a pretty kind of uh, concentrated, um, as I mentioned though, at the top, like this is pretty concentrated because those four plays really felt like they were a class above the rest. Uh, Jacobs being 28%, a little higher than I expected, given you were going to have Brian Hoyer back there. Uh, just a little too much risk for me to want to touch, you know, to want to grab a player with like Josh Jacobs at his price when we had such other great plays. I At wide receiver. I started off personally by just locking Cooper Cup. If you were running optimals, he didn't actually show up in optimals on his own. But since coming back, he's had the same elite usage that we've seen in years past. He's running around on every drop back. He's earned 42% of the team's targets coming in today. And then given the running back injuries, we also expected Stafford to throw a ton. So locked in Cooper Cup. And then I started kind of building my three other wide receivers from there. The next guy that continued to show up my builds was Josh Palmer, $4,800. It gave us more access to that high-scoring game environment for Kansas City. We know he's got a clear, valuable role as the number two wide receiver and a strong offense with a strong QB at Justin Herbert. And there wasn't really too much of us available at that 4800 near price point. So when you're building lineups and you kind of see like, hey, this really fits like a nice kind of gap aspect, um, that was the next guy that I kind of plugged in and started building around. And then for my third, I was initially looking at teams with Marquise Brown, uh, given he's still seeing 30% of the team's targets, only cost 5,300, didn't get any kind of price increase despite the air yardage, all that kind of continued usage that we're seeing from Joshua Dobbs. But I also wanted to get access to Tyler Lockett. When you think about Tyler Lockett going against Arizona, wide receivers against Arizona the past few weeks have just completely gone off. So the past three weeks are... 7, 148, and one touchdown, 15, one, I think that was Cooper Cup, 15, 192 for three touchdowns, Jamar Chase, and the week before that was six for 148 yards. I believe that was Brennan Ayuk. And hey, with DK Metcalf potentially not playing, I felt it was a priority to find the money to go from that $5,300 Hollywood to $6,000 locket. And at the end of the day, it was mostly just kind of dropping my defense from the Giants to Kansas City, which we'll touch on later. But Getting that access, that kind of upside, especially with DK maybe not playing. And with the Marquise Brown, and we need to, we continue to see it today, but not all air yards are the same. And even though, yes, Marquise Brown is getting 30% of the targets, if those are lots of downfield targets, highly valuable targets, the challenge is that Joshua Dobbs, like, he's just doesn't have it. Just in a lot of his throws are kind of just like maybe it's counting as a target, but he's throwing it away or it really is uncatchable. So we need to evaluate like, hey, this Marquise Brown situation, I'm probably not going to be playing him again until Kyler Murray is back, at the least not in tournaments. Like if he ends up being a cash play, he's just so cheap. It is what it is. But I'm going to be looking elsewhere for tournaments. He definitely was doubted in a couple of my lineups this week. And okay, so how did we do on this? Cooper Cup had what will probably be his worst week of the season. I mean, Stafford dropback thesis that I talked about ended up not coming to fruition at all. He only had 29 passing attempts on the day. 
Seven of those went to Cooper Cup, but only two receptions. For me, thankfully, he was 46% owned. Not many wide receivers had strong games, so I didn't really lose too much on the field there. Then you look at Tyler Lockett, and Seattle almost the same thing. It was very similar with Geno, only through 24 times. No one had more than four receptions on that team. Lockett had five targets, four receptions. Did not come down with one of the two touchdowns. That was JSN and Bobo. And uh, so pretty disappointing day for Tyler Lockett as well, ending with just under eight fantasy points. And the one who saved us, though, was Joshua Palmer. Chargers were mostly in trailing mode, not blowout, not garbage time, but for the most part of the game, felt like they were down about a touchdown or two. Uh, He only got seven targets, but he did a ton with those seven, turned it into five receptions for 133 yards and almost had a touchdown. Felt like if he just would have run straight, he would have gotten a touchdown. Is what it is, but he still had a great day at 21.3 points. If we look into ownership, so I mentioned the Cooper Cup was at 46%. Marquise Brown was the second highest after that at 41% owned. Uh, Surprised me a little. I mean, I guess when I was first building mine, he was the one that really popped off. And I think if you look at a lot of the optimals and lineup builders, when we're talking about these underlying metrics and the projections, like it does look like a good play. But I think there's additional fragility that we really need to be considering. And uh, so those two, both at over 40%. Then you got Lockett at 27, Josh Palmer at 23, Wandale Robinson at 21 for people that wanted to play, pay down and get some savings, or Zay Flowers at 18%, who was just right around that range as well of the Tyler Lockett and Marquise Brown area. And now for tight end. Did you know it was National Tight End Day? I'm sure you didn't hear that. No one mentioned the broadcasts at all. I think it was... Oh, must have been must have been thrown at us a hundred times, but uh, did the tight ends live up to it? It was crazy. Once, so for me with the tight ends, I think it was a question of first off, are you going to pay up? If you're not, then it was really for me. It was down to kind of two guys. But starting off, I wasn't going to pay up for Travis Kelsey, even though it was a great matchup going against the Chargers. Eight thousand dollars for in cash for me is just too much to pay up for a tight end in most kitchen situations when there are some cheap options that I do like. So for me, I was really only ever considering Luke Musgrave at 3,300 or Trey McBride at 2,600. Musgrave was in a solid spot versus Denver. I mean, hey, other than Chargers, Denver's given up the second most kind of two quarterbacks and up in the air. Uh, We've seen teams just absolutely do what they want, have their way with Denver. But there were probably some reasons to be concerned with the Musgrave side of things. His recent usage might be a little misleading given the majority of those games were not with Christian Watson, were not with Aaron Jones. Trey McBride, on the other hand, he was coming off his highest routes run usage, trending upward. Normally, I'd drop down and save that $700, but I just couldn't really find anything that was worth using that $700 for when I was plugging in. And it kind of like when I got down to what was like my 2v2, it was just like, hey, I'm going to be upgrading my defense with that 700. That's not enough for me to take the guy that even though I think, hey, it wasn't too much of a difference between McBride and Musgrave, uh, but I'd rather kind of at least take that upside of Musgrave in Denver, full-time route player versus Trey McBride still sharing with Zach Ertz. And again, that $700 just didn't help me. So I took Musgrave knowing he'd be pretty chalky in a decent spot. And I just tried to win elsewhere. I think a lot of people took a similar route there. Luke Musgrave was highest owned at 32%. After that, you had Michael Mayer at 19%. Michael Mayer was only $100 more than Trey McBride. 
people saw in the Island game last week, Michael Mayer started that drive with three straight receptions. So I could see why people were kind of getting excited um, on the Michael Mayer one at such a cheap price, but ended up kind of dubbing at that 3.3. After that, it's people who spent up on Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews at 13 and 12% respectively. Those two obviously went off huge days. Good on you if you uh, spent up on tight end and hit on that, because I'm sure it was a very profitable day from a cash standpoint. And then let's round it out with DST. DST was pretty straightforward for me. You were, I was either going to pay for $3,000 for the Giants against the Commanders, considering this was a game that, you know, hey, two teams that give up the most sacks. We expect the Giants continue to get pressure. Anybody can get pressure against the Commanders. Or my other option was pay down for the Chiefs at 2400 versus the Chargers. We were expecting the Chargers to be dropping back a ton. Chiefs to be ahead gives you more opportunities for sacks, for turnovers. I'm usually going to pay down at DST, given the randomness, the unlikely scenario of getting dusted by a D. And in this scenario, as I mentioned, I could have gotten that $600 up to get to the Giants, but it would have been at the expense of dropping from Musgrave and Trey McBride, and I'd rather take the better tight end than the uh, potentially better defensive matchup. So that's why I went with the Chiefs. Turned out any of the four highest-owned DSTs would have been just fine. Chiefs were the highest-owned at 24% put up 10 points. Browns and Ravens were at 11 and 10% respectively, put up 16 and 14 points. And the Giants, as I mentioned, were the fourth highest-owned. 8% and they put up 14 points. So overall, most of you were probably not gaining much or losing much on the field by what defense you played. So for a recap, once more, my team put up 118.80. I won 64% of my head-to-heads. Thank you, Jordan Love, for uh, getting very lucky on your touchdowns and Josh Palmer for turning into a just complete baller in that game, getting over 100 yards, saved the day there. And as I like to show... Comparing the single entry to the multi-entry, the $5 single entry this week, cash line was 113.20. $5 multi-entry was 120.66. So about a 7.46 difference, not our largest that we've seen. But as a percentage of the actual, you're looking at around a what? Top ahead, it's probably about 6% difference. That's pretty substantial. Um, given, you know, hey, it was a low scoring week. Okay. Let's preview the Monday Night Football game. We've got San Francisco 49ers at Minnesota Vikings. Vikings are at home. Six and a half point underdogs. No real injury question marks as of this point. As reports are that McCaffrey will be active, yet potentially getting a bit less usage than normal. Um, from the Vikings side of things, in the Vikings' first game without Justin Jefferson, we saw TJ Hawkinson see a season-high 27% of the targets. Osborne, Addison, and Powell, three wide receivers. Osborne, Addison played the most, but Powell wasn't too far behind them, and they really split the remaining targets fairly evenly other than what Madison was getting. Madison really widened the gap between him and Cam Akers. He got 82% of the carries and saw the second most targets on the team at 23%. So if you think, hey, they're going to continue to use kind of Madison in that pass game work, that could be a decent option for this week, assuming the Vikings are trailing. On the 49ers side of things, 49ers, well, first off, we know that the 49ers are kind of a difficult matchup all around from a defensive standpoint. So when I've been kind of building out teams that I like best, the ones that have really been most attractive to me have been the San Francisco onslaughts with five 49ers, one Viking. Often I get the opportunity then to kind of take both CMC and Elijah Mitchell. If you want to go Mason, you can go there, but I'm leaning toward Mitchell and playing for that blowout. And then from that 49ers side, 
They're going to be without Debo Samuel after last week's injury. Last week, Brandon Ayuk dominated in targets last week, 43% of the team's targets. Kittle only had 9%. It's always kind of hard to guess when it's a Kittle game, but if I had to guess, six and a half point favorites, I'd lean IU kind of shredding the secondary in the early parts, as well as seeing just a bunch of rushing for San Francisco. Uh, so I like the onslaughts, five Niners, one Viking, Viking, Madison, Powell gives you some good savings. Those are the two that kind of pop the most for me, but um, lots, lots of creativity there. So that is all for today. I hope you all had a strong weekend. Best of luck in the Monday Night Football Showdown slate. Best of luck. We are now seven weeks through the season. That's halfway through the best ball season. Maybe a third of the way through our DFS season. So lots of fun still to be had. Appreciate all of you for listening. And each week, twice a week, I will be back on a Thursday to preview the week ahead. We'll have a fun show planned. I right, have a good rest of your week. Later.